Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here today. Well, in addition to Jesus's truly, truly statements, there is something else that makes the Gospel of John unique. And these are often referred to as Jesus's I am statements. For example, in chapter six, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In chapter eight, he says, I am the light of the world. And as we saw last week, he says in chapter eight as well, before Abraham was, I am. Well, today, on top of two more of these truly, truly statements, we see two more I am statements. Jesus says, I am the door. And he says, I am the good shepherd. What do these statements mean? Open up to John chapter 10, verse 1. Feel free to follow along as we go. Use one of our Bibles if you need to and take it home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. Thank you that we can come here from different places, different sorts of weeks, uh, different experiences, different backgrounds. Uh, And we can come here and sing together, pray together, listen to your word together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, We might not know each other if we pass each other on the street, uh, but we have a an eternal bond uh, that is solidified by the body and blood of Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for the people in this room who have come together to worship you. Uh, Thank you for the people who could not be here today. Thank you for the people who are teaching kids off in the hallway. Uh, Lord, thank you for Sunday morning. Be with us as we read your word today. I pray that it would have the effect on us that you intend for it to have uh, as your children, as your servants, as your people. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we read in John chapter 10, we should quickly summarize John chapter 9. And that's because Jesus's words in chapter 10 are a continuation of a conversation that begins in chapter 9. And we should have some idea of what started this conversation before we pick up in the middle of it. So in John chapter 9, Jesus miraculously heals a man who was born blind. And Jesus does this by spitting in the dirt, making mud, rubbing it on the man's eyes, and then telling him to go and wash. Now, naturally, many have wondered about the significance of the mud. Is Jesus trying to echo God's act of creation? If you think back to the book of Genesis, God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Or did the mud have magic healing properties? Some in the ancient world may have thought so. But we shouldn't get too obsessed with figuring out the mud. Perhaps the more significant detail is that this healing took place on the Sabbath. Now, we've seen this before in the Gospel of John. Back in chapter 5, Jesus healed a paralytic on the Sabbath and specifically instructed him to take up his bed. Now, the Jewish religious leaders were scandalized by this. They considered taking up your bed to be a form of work. 
and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And here, when Jesus makes mud, he is once again working on the Sabbath. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't have to use mud. He could have simply spoken and the man would have been healed. But he chooses to make the mud. It seems as though Jesus is intentionally trying to provoke the religious leaders. And if that's his goal, well, it works. The religious leaders rightly and angrily confront the man who was healed. They want answers. You can't totally blame them. But they eventually kick the man out of the synagogue, which would have been devastating for a faithful Jew in more ways than one. But that doesn't stop the man from believing in Jesus. Then, of course, the religious leaders hunt down Jesus. They start a confrontation with him. And that's where we pick up in chapter 10. So chapter 10, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. For those keeping count, verse 1 is Jesus' 15th truly, truly statement in the Gospel of John. And in this parable about a sheepfold, Jesus may be talking about one big outdoor pen that was shared by multiple families. Now, if you think about it, if multiple families all have their sheep living in the same pen, how do you keep them apart? How do they not get mixed up? Well, Jesus tells us the sheep know their shepherd's voice. But if the sheep are outdoors, how do they not get stolen? Jesus answers that question, too. A gatekeeper watches over them, making sure that no thieves get in and no sheep get out. Now, that all sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Well, not really. The religious leaders didn't understand what Jesus was trying to get across. And quite frankly, neither do we. At least not yet. Surely Jesus has more in mind than just stating facts or strategies about ancient livestock management. What's the deeper lesson here? Which characters represent who? Where's all the symbolism we've come to expect from Jesus' parables? Well, Jesus expands the story in verse 7. And this is where the parable gets a little more interesting and maybe a little more confusing as well. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Okay. So first, Jesus is the door. But then he says he's the good shepherd. Which one is it? And for that matter, we still don't know who the rest of the characters are. Who are the thieves and the robbers? Who's the gatekeeper? On top of that, Jesus has added a hired hand to the mix, and worst of all, a wolf. And maybe the most important question that remains, who are the sheep? Let's walk through this parable. And while we do it, keep in mind what we're reading. This is a parable. So don't get too hung up on secondary issues and then miss the main point as a result. So big question number one, who are the sheep? Well, the answer is people. God's people. Those who believe in Jesus. Verse 16 tells us that is both Jew and Gentile. That's what Jesus is referring to with sheep from another fold. In the Old Testament, passages like Psalm 95 verse 7 speak of people as God's pasture, the sheep of his hand. In Micah chapter 5 verses 4 and 5, God's people, the nation of Israel, is referred to as God's flock. In the New Testament, in Matthew 9 verse 36, Jesus sees a hungry crowd and says they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in Luke 15, 1 through 7, the famous parable of the lost sheep as comparing sinful people to sheep. Commentators have often noted the similarities between people and sheep. Humans are social creatures. Without a group to belong to, we get in trouble. People are creatures of habit, much like sheep. And people can be easily misled. Ain't that the truth? 
You know, it's sometimes tempting to look down our noses at people around us and arrogantly assume that they're just sheeple. Unable to think for themselves the way that we can. Blindly following whoever calls their name. But the truth is that we are all a lot like sheep. That's who we are in this parable. But who are the thieves and robbers of the story? What about the hired hand? Well, the religious leaders fit both profiles. They don't really care about the people that God has entrusted to them. They just want to exploit them. They don't lead the sheep. They let them wander. And they don't defend God's people from harm. They abandon them. These religious leaders are no better than wicked leaders from Israel's past. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10, God issues a scathing rebuke against the leaders of Israel. And he compares them to shepherds who have fed themselves. Shepherds who do not love the sheep. Shepherds who cook and eat the sheep rather than caring for them. Shepherds who abandon the sheep when they're in trouble. Through corruption and rebellion and sin, which ultimately culminates in their rejection of Jesus. These religious leaders are following in those footsteps. They have disqualified themselves from authority over God's people. At this point, in Jesus' mind, they might as well be thieves and robbers. Some might even call them wolves. So in the parable, people are the sheep. Religious leaders are the thieves, the robbers, and maybe even the wolf. The hired hand, for sure. But lastly, who is the good shepherd? Well, we already know the answer. Jesus is the good shepherd. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11 God promised his people that one day a good shepherd would come to tend his flock and lovingly gather his lambs. Jeremiah 3 verse 15 looks forward to the day when God will give his people shepherds after his own heart who will feed them with knowledge and understanding. In the New Testament, Hebrews 13 verse 20 refers to Jesus as the great shepherd. Peter refers to Jesus as the shepherd and overseer of our souls, the chief shepherd. But what makes Jesus the good shepherd? Not just a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. He dies on the cross for our sins in order that we might live. D.A. Carson writes, The shepherd does not die for his sheep just to serve as an example. Throwing himself off a cliff in some grotesque and futile display while bellowing, See how much I love you! No. The assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger. That in their defense, the shepherd loses his life. That by his death, they are saved. 
That and that alone is what makes Jesus the good shepherd. And it's because of Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death, bodily resurrection, who he is and what he's done, that he is also the door. Jesus is our way of entry into God's flock. And he's also what keeps us from getting out. He's both the barrier against the bad things that can eternally destroy us and the entrance into the good things that last into eternity. Preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Since Jesus glories that he is the door, let us not hesitate to use him in that capacity. Let us hasten to enter in by him into peace, life, rest, holiness. When we see it written up in large characters, this is the way, which for those who did not know, Charles Spurgeon was a fan of the Mandalorian. We do not fear that we shall trespass if we follow it. What is a way for but to be followed? What is a door for but to be passed through? Say that a doorway is never passed and you have said that it is useless. Why not brick it up? It would be no honor to the Lord Jesus for sinners to be so in awe of him as never to come to God by him. Jesus delights in being evermore our way of access. He's the good shepherd who leads his sheep. And he is the door that we might become God's flock. Now, once again, the Jews are perplexed by Jesus's word. Some think that he's insane at best and demon possessed at worst. Others don't know what to make of him at all. But we pick up in verse 24, this conversation happening maybe a couple of months later. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly enough with shepherds and sheep and thieves and robbers and wolves. Just tell us, are you the Christ or not? Jesus answered them. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the Father are one. So once again, the Jews prepare to stone Jesus. But once again, he escapes. The good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep, but not yet. And he won't die by stoning. He will die by crucifixion. So sheep, by far are the most commonly mentioned animal in the Bible. They're mentioned upwards of 400 times when you put it all together. If there's one animal that scripture uses to describe human beings, it's sheep. 
You might say that they're our biblical spirit animal, our scriptural Patronus. But why couldn't God have used some other animal to describe us? Why can't we be strong lions or fearsome tigers or majestic eagles or wise elephants or noble steeds or intelligent dolphins or even just cute little bunnies? Who wants to be sheep? Well, the Bible uses this imagery to humble us, to remind us of our helplessness in and of ourselves, and to teach us about our need for a shepherd. It's no coincidence that some of the most important leaders over God's people in the pages of the Bible had shepherding experience. Moses was a shepherd after he fled Egypt. And he'd eventually return to shepherd God's people out of slavery. David was a shepherd before he became the greatest king that Israel ever had. It appears that shepherding is good preparation for leading God's people. That's because people are a lot like sheep. It's no wonder that the New Testament regularly speaks of church leaders as shepherds. 1 Peter 5.4 tells elders to shepherd the flock of God. Shepherding was blue-collar work. It wasn't for the faint of heart. A good shepherd needed patience when the sheep are stubborn. Compassion when the sheep get hurt. Courage when predators lurk. And love to go out and find the sheep when they wander. With time, sheep might come to know their shepherd's voice. The shepherd could even give them names. Eventually, the shepherd and his flock would become inseparable. Well, Jesus does all of those things, and then some, for us. He patiently rebukes us when we're stubborn for our good. He has compassion for us in our moments of weakness and pain. He protects us from harm, and he loves us enough to seek us out when we stray. Our shepherd knows our names. And most of all, he laid down his life for us. So you may like to think of yourself as a lion, a tiger, an eagle, or some other beautiful, independent, and capable creature. You can fend for yourself. You're competent. You don't need anybody's help. And you know, in some areas of life, you may be right, at least to a degree. But spiritually speaking, we are all sheep. On our own, we are defenseless against the devil, who 1 Peter 5.8 tells us prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There are thieves, robbers, and wolves all around us. If we try to stare down the temptations of the world, the sin of our own flesh, and Satan himself without the good shepherd, we will become lamb chops. We stand no chance. But how do you know that Jesus is your shepherd? Well, don't listen to strangers who only want to use and abuse you. 
Listen to the one who laid down his life for you. Don't just follow anyone who will give you what you want. Follow the one who will give you what you need. At the end of the day, Jesus' sheep will recognize his voice. By God's grace, may we have ears to hear. Now, as we close, I think it would be pastoral slash preacher malpractice to not read Psalm 23 when you're talking about Jesus as the good shepherd. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like it or not, we are all sheep. And sheep need a shepherd. You need shepherds in a local church. You need fellow sheep to surround you, encourage you, pray for you, challenge you, and help you. But most of all, you need the good shepherd. Because only he can lead you to the green grass and still waters of eternal life. He will even be with you in the valley of the shadow of death, having gone through it before you and living to tell the tale. He has authority to lay his life down and raise it back up. Jesus has authority to raise your life up as well if you believe in him. He came that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. So may we be his sheep and we follow his voice. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that you've given us. Lord, remind us of our need for you day in and day out, that we are far more dependent upon you than we often realize, that our lives, our existence is far more fragile than we often understand. And so, Lord, with that in mind, help us cling to you as our shepherd. Lord, help us hear your voice and listen to your voice and follow you. Help us trust you to be our protector, to be our provider, and most of all, to be our savior. Lord, thank you that you laid your life down for us, that you took your life back up again, and that because of who you are, because of what you've done, you can give us life as well, both here and in eternity. So, Lord, again, help us to be your sheep. Humble us, remind us of our need for you, and help us have complete confidence that you are more than capable of leading us and caring for us and shepherding us all the way to eternal life. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.